Hi, this is Anne Filippi, founder of The New Health Club. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. And we think that the future is already here. Hi, and welcome to the last episode of 2020 of the New Health Club Show. My guest today is a very special one, and he's called David Bronner, an American corporate executive and activist. As the top executive at Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps, he has become known for his activism around a range of issues, especially fair trade, sustainable agriculture, animal rights, and drug policy reform. David's company, Dr. Bronner's, has a special meaning to me and to the New Health Club since the company sponsored the podcast for most of 2020. I met David in February this year, the first time in Germany, and none of us thought that we would experience such an exciting year in psychedelics. Dr. Bronner's as a company has supported the most important decriminalized movements in the US this year, such as DC Measure 81, Decriminalized Nature DC which passed with 76 of the vote and supports the enforcement of laws against natural plant medicines. Dr. Bronis also supported the so-called Oregon model, Measure 109, which passed with 56% of the vote and legalizes regulated access to psilocybin therapy administered by trained state licensed facilitators in a therapeutic setting. I'm thrilled to have David on the show as our last guest for 2020. We talk the exciting year in psychedelics. We talk about why the US is so ready for new mental health drugs and Europe, of course, too. We talk about David's German heritage. The Bronner family is originally from Heilbronn. The next level in the upcoming psychedelic world. And we are joined by David's dog during our talk. Please enjoy the show and the episode with one of the most important, entertaining, and energetically really awesome dude, <laughs> the greatest supporter and trailblazer of the psychedelic renaissance, David Bronner. I hope you enjoy the show. All right. So the final podcast of the season, <laughs> the, one of the most exciting po podcasts with um, David Bronner, CEO, which means Cosmic Engagement Officer of Dr. Bronner's. The, in the meantime, I think everybody this year has heard of you in terms of your supporting system, you could say, for the psychedelic movement. I'm super happy that you're back on the show. And it's almost like a year ago that we met in, in Nuremberg of all places and um, had the first podcast. So I'm happy that we can film this today. And um, I mean, a lot has happened this year, right? It, you must feel like you have been in a kind of a psychedelic accelerator this year with yeah. all the um, amazing, yeah, institutions, you could say, or like initiatives you supported. So how do you feel right now, like at the end of the year? You, you must feel like it's like you achieved like so many things in one year. Yeah, it's um, been, you know, just an incredible uh, election cycle for, mm -hmm. for psychedelic medicine and therapy. Um, we ran the tables on all the campaigns we were involved in. So that was uh, the Oregon psilocybin therapy measure. Mm -hmm. And alongside that was the treatment, not jail, um, uh, transitioning the drug war generally um, from criminalization of addiction to a treatment approach. Um, when someone's struggling with alcohol, when you have a friend or family struggling with alcohol, we don't call the police and lock them up. We, we get them into treatment and we should be doing that for all, all drug and substance use disorders. And so in Oregon, we had that perfect pairing of a, of a shift from a criminalization approach to a treatment approach and then bringing in psilocybin treatment, which shows such promise for uh, substance use disorders, alcoholism, um, smoking cessation, and, um, as well as treatment resistant depression and, and healing trauma and mental health generally and um and then in dc we had the plant the uh decriminalized nature campaign so mm -hmm. decriminalizing all plant medicines used in ceremony for healing and spiritual growth here puppy get out of here okay 
Yeah, and then uh, in ca- on the cannabis front, we had three red states: so Montana, South Dakota, and um, and Mississippi, showing mm-hmm. that cannabis and cannabis prohibition is a bipartisan issue, which is crucial right now in a, in the U.S. context. It's uh, obviously very divided. So we're, we have hope now that we can actually end federal or end cannabis prohibition at a federal level. Um, totally, uh, how do you say, unexpectedly, the U.S. voted for to deschedule cannabis in the U.N. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard about this, but the U.N. scheduled cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Wow. And, yeah. that, and, and America voted for it, which was, you know, which is the Trump administration. So that's, that's, you know, pretty, pretty amazing in the context of everything going on right now. So, yeah. So while um, a lot of things in the U.S. are not awesome, uh, drug policy reform and psychedelic renaissance is, uh, is really proceeding, even in the current climate. So we feel like what we did in Oregon really sets the model and precedent for the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, I'll share while I was late coming here, the uh, California is decrim- has a, met, uh, a, a Senate champion, our, our California State Senator mm-hmm. Scott Weiner wants to introduce a legislation to decriminalize medicines. And just I was fielding um, uh, some very, how do you say, concerned people on the peyote front. And that's a real issue here in the U.S. that as decriminalization and as the psychedelic renaissance unfolds, that we need to be really careful about the demand pressure um, on these medicines, and especially in the case of peyote, the the wild gardens are in a state of collapse. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're not really careful about how this unfolds, then that we're going to just basically eradicate the medicine that the native tribes here have been relying on for you know millennia. And um, and obviously, that's that would be terrible. So. We just need to make sure that we're being very conscious and careful as the psychedelic renaissance unfolds, that we're also engaged on biocultural preservation projects and mm-hmm. helping indigenous leaders and wisdom keepers um, preserve their traditions and medicines and, and benefit from the psychedelic renaissance and aren't uh, disrupted or even destroyed by it. Um, but yeah, uh, it, these are all good problems, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. It's, uh, yeah. So, and then in Germany, thank you so much, I mean, for helping lead the charge there in Germany. And and it's just incredible to see it starting to happen around the world. Yeah, yeah it's starting to gain traction, I think. But I mean, in, in so many media outlets in America, the, the headline was after the election, the big winner or the winner of this election are drugs. Yeah. And um, like from very conservative outlets to, let's say, Vice or um, all these things, everybody was pretty much agreeing on this. So... And so you said earlier that like everybody had amazing results in all the places, Oregon, Washington. So, and why do you think that that is that people, obviously very normal people, not like, let's say, futuristic Silicon Valley um, CEOs, like really normal people seem to agree that there is obviously a big need having other therapies accessible. Why do you think that is has been so strong? Because it's really it's it's incredible numbers that you guys reached. Yeah, no, right. I mean, uh, you know, seventy six percent in DC. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's great. And when we win in DC and and or camp, a campaign, where you know, when we're talking to the local media, we're also talking to the national leadership. So it's you know, it's a it's a crucial place to win, and no one's ever won with seventy six percent. It's kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Oregon, yeah, pretty pretty impressive victories as well. Yeah, I mean, what I think is that it's a combination of just the incredible results that have come out of all the clinical trials at Mm -hmm. John Hopkins and NYU and UCLA and just, you know, leading to FDA breakthrough designation for psilocybin therapy and MDMA-assisted therapy, uh, respectively, for um, psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression and and MDMA therapy for PTSD. Um, And I think the huge amount of mobilization of different advocacy groups, especially the veterans, the groups Mm -hmm. focused on healing the trauma of veterans. Um, And yeah, it's just kind of a perfect storm of um, just really good results um, getting published from maps and Mm -hmm. uh, from our map studies uh, for MDMA. Um, You know, Michael Pollan, of course. I mean, just a lot of cultural factors. Uh, John Hopkins, 
And I mean, I think the veteran groups uh, that have really, um, so it's Heroic Hearts Project, Vets, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. Mm-hmm. Heroic Hearts Project is uh, working with ayahuasca. They send uh, veterans tr- carrying a, a lot of trauma and emotional pain and scars down to Peru to drink ayahuasca together and, and heal up together. And um, uh, uh, Veterans uh, Exploring Treatment Solutions, Vets, is working with Ibogaine and 5-MAO-DMT. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's thinking that the Ibogaine actually really helps not just with healing the trauma, but also the actual brain damage the, from uh, repeated concussive, mm-hmm. I forget what they call it, traumatic brain injury, TBI, uh, from the repeated blast concussions. And the same with um, pro athletes. There was just a really good episode on Brian Kimball's Real Sports with Brian Kimball. Um, with like hockey players and, and, and MMA, uh, you know, he's a mixed martial arts fighters and all these kind of, you know, just high level athletes who are mm-hmm. suffering a lot. You know, it's kind of similar to veterans transitioning out of professional sports and carrying a lot of trauma and head, head injury, getting incredible healing and just feeling comfortable to share their stories in the media. And, and then coupled with that, I think we're really, uh, kind of maybe getting past this cultural split of the 60s in some ways obviously we're not but um in in terms of the drug war and drug policy and psychedelics and cannabis as a proxy to go after the counterculture and all that mm-hmm. i think maybe we're kind of moving out of that as well as just maybe a general recognition that arresting people well just drug policy generally is shifting and i think maybe even criminal justice policy that Obviously, it needs. There's so much deep reform that needs to happen here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's. How do you say that? It's, it's definitely um, bipartisan to an extent. I mean, the degree of reform is obviously a, a big debate right now in the country. But I think everybody agrees that we do need to reform our police and criminal justice. And there's a lot of stuff that we're doing right now that is shouldn't be criminalized and doesn't need to involve the police. Um, obviously, the drug war. Oh, I mean, the, the U.S. has almost 25% of the world's prison population with less than 5% of the actual population. Like, wow. It's ridiculous. And I think there's a growing recognition on all sides that that's not right and um, is really harming a lot of communities, especially people of color, black and brown people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I think just a lot of factors are coming together right now. Um, and COVID really highlighting yeah. the deep mental health crisis we're in and how inadequate our current pharma and therapy uh, approaches are to a lot of mental health and the struggles we're in. Mm. And the medicines have, you know, they kind of, they come from these indigenous ways of being and knowing and healing and relating and, and have a, an answer, I think, for a lot of people to um, really do some deep work and heal up trauma on a deep level. Um, and reconnect with themselves in a more authentic way and uh, reconnect with the natural world. So, um, so yeah. But I mean, when, when, when you say the, it's more like a bipartisan thing to look at and that more people, more veterans would be rather on a conservative side, but at the same time, it seems it's really good if conservative, so-called conservative people are very convinced by these therapies, right? I mean, it feels that um, the more, even the more conservative people are convinced, the better, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. I mean, you know, obviously we we also want to be healing up um, all the marginalized and traumatized communities and mm-hmm. the inner cities and a lot of, you know, just the right. systemic racism and all the trauma that associates with that. But politically speaking, um, the veteran community and having the, let's say, the conservative side of the political spectrum really, uh, how do you say, understand mm-hmm. the healing power of these medicines and kind of terms that they understand is um, really crucial to making the progress we've made. And Rick Doblin's, you know, been really smart. I mean, he really, yeah. you know, picked, you know, there's a lot of medicines out there and a lot of conditions that we can help. And he picked MDMA for, for PTSD. And Mm-hmm. In, in part because he knew that that would engage the veteran community and really, you know, Interesting. have mm-hmm. crucial allies in this project to integrate these medicines and therapies. 
But so were there moments in this year when you were like, I mean, you, you fought, I mean, even before the whole year started and um, kind of the organizations were starting to work and, and the um, Measure 81, Oregon Measure 110. So were there moments when you were really a little bit, not going to say frustrated, but exhausted if this would ever go forward and what would yeah. happen? Well, well, COVID was nuts. I mean, yeah. like that, because, you know, to get ballot measures qualified, um, you've got to gather like a ton of signatures. Uh, yeah. Citizens in general, like 5% of the voting population. Um, and with COVID and, and lockdowns and like we couldn't go gather signatures. So it became really difficult to do this by alternative means. We did, we had to mail people back, uh, uh, signature forms and, you know, just kind of navigate like a very difficult environment mm -hmm. and it costs a lot more, but fortunately, um, Dr. Bronner's, we were in the unique position of selling soap and sanitizer yeah. and our profits <laughs> yeah. like went through the roof. Uh -huh. So we were able to cover like the, the shortfall or the additional cost all these mm -hmm. campaigns were, were facing. And yeah, it was just kind of, it was funny. I mean, wow. I mean, obviously it was, it's a horrible situation, but our, you know, our costs went down because none of us can go anywhere and, uh, yeah. and, and our revenues went way up. So that translates in our business model. Um, I, you know, our executive compensation is capped at five times our lowest paid position. So all profits we don't need for the business, which, you know, to grow the business like we have, it's, you know, it takes a lot of, of financial resources, but mm -hmm. everything we don't need, uh, we, we give to the causes and charities we believe in. And so this year, you know, a $3 million budget turned into a $6 million budget to help these campaigns. Wow. And um, yeah, we were able to just really fill in and, you know, other donors and philanthropists were, you know, not necessarily in the kind of position we were. So mm -hmm. it was kind of mm -hmm. our responsibility, given that we were benefiting from the situation to mm -hmm. know, fill it in. So, uh, but yeah, so I would say that initially with COVID, it was really tough, especially in DC. Um, but we like were able to pull it out and, and, and qualify the measure. Mm -hmm. and, and then once they were qualified, um, I guess there was some concern in Oregon about whether or not we'd raise enough money to communicate. Because what we all our polling has showed is so long as we could effectively communicate with voters about what psilocybin therapy is, mm -hmm. that we would, mm -hmm. we would get a, a, a support. But that the base where we were starting from was like low 40s, like 42%. Like there's there wasn't a ton of awareness what we were talking about. And people are like, you know what? And so we absolutely had to be able to um, communicate, you know, and have end of life, you know, hospice uh, providers and, 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 and caregivers and, you know, uh, various mental health professionals and veterans who've gotten their lives back, um, you know, family members who've witnessed the power of, of, of a loved one who's dying, who's facing debilitating anxiety in that process, get their life back uh, from this therapy. And those testimonials are so persuasive and powerful, but you, you have to be able to, how do you say, buy the airtime to mm -hmm. be able to, those stories can be heard, you know, told and heard. Right. And um, so there was a question of, okay, are we going to get to hit our fundraise target? I mean, obviously it was helpful that we were able to come in big, but it wasn't going to be even as big as we came in. We still needed at least, um, at least double um, for each campaign. I mean, they're, they're, these are, you know, five, $6 million campaigns, uh, each of them. So, I mean, our wow. six is, it's key, but it's only like a third of the picture. So, yeah. so we needed to have other donors really come in and that was, you know, um, I wasn't ever that worried, but you know, it was some point. So it was like, okay, you know, come on everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need also, you need to keep it together and coordinate between the leaders of the campaigns, I guess. Right. I mean, I think that's also something that you have to do that then they kind of exchanged their knowledge or their strategies maybe at the same time. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. The coalition dynamics and drama, yeah. there's definitely always movement. How do you say mm. personalities and stuff yeah. happens. And yeah. 
you know, that's never <laughs> yeah. super fun, but yeah, yeah. it's part of it. And, and so, so when did you create actually the, the, um, the heel soul series? What was this, was this actually designed to support also, especially the in initiatives? Uh Yeah, so Heal Soul, yeah, it was a beautiful campaign idea. We, we've been running what we call Heal Earth is a campaign mm -hmm. that's all about regenerative organic agriculture. And it's, um, how do you say, promise that if adopted globally and, and the one third of the earth surface that's right now under generally industrial agricultural mismanagement that's destroying ecosystems and, uh, you know, just, just blasting so much synthetic fertilizer and pesticides and herbicides and and just that are totally disrupting natural ecosystem function and doing so much harm that if we can shift our agriculture globally to regenerative organic management where it's basically you farm in nature's image if you look at a forest a wild ecosystem mm -hmm. it's totally self-regenerating you don't need to put a whole bunch of synthetic chemicals into it and interestingly michael pollan who's a big champion of psychedelics it's his, mm -hmm. his other passion is is regenerative organic agriculture and, and oh, okay. responsible dietary choice he wrote a book called omnivore's dilemma yeah right the, mm -hmm. yeah so so we already so we so heal earth and it's funny we have the same kind of twin passions we we're, we're very passionate <laughs> about regenerating agriculture and, mm -hmm. and making sure we can farm for you know A thousand generations like right now we're just ripping the soil the fertility out of the soil we're ripping the right. earth apart. it's a disaster and there's a lot of industries that are responsible for the problem uh, but agriculture is a, a massive massive problem anyway so we already had this heal earth campaign that we've been doing and we transform our, our label which our label is generally a, my granddad dr browner is it's mm -hmm. all about his uh vision of peace on earth and, and the one true religion of love at the heart of all faith traditions and You know, when they're not making idols out of their beliefs and, and demonizing each other, um, they're all pointing at that transcendent mystery and love at the heart of reality and that we need to realize our unity across religious and ethnic divides. And um, and that's my granddad's message generally, but we'll change that label once in a while for a particular uh, cause. So we've been doing the Heal Earth and we did that earlier this year. And then the latter half of this year, the last, so basically starting in September, we introduced the Heal Soul label and the mm -hmm. Heal Soul label is all about psychedelic assisted therapy and the promise that these medicines have to heal us up, heal uh, the, the epidemics of depression and anxiety and addiction that are you know, ravaging um, the U.S. And, and, and much of the world and the, the promise that these medicines have and really breaking it down in a really clear way. Um, our goal, my brother likes to say our goal was to communicate in a way that my mom's church group could receive. So, yeah, you know, good. to, to, to yeah. not, you know, yeah, to really just keep it in a very tight therapeutic frame. Mm -hmm. And we sell into Walmart and Target and Walgreens and like pretty, you know, mainstream wow. channels, you know, as well as natural food stores. And, mm -hmm. um, and it was a calculated risk. And, and, and I, I, I thought for sure we were going to have to like pull it out of some of our, retailers that there was going to be some controversy but we literally had not one retailer complain at all about it um, in fact walgreens which has got like 10,000 stores here in the u.s we yeah. gave them a heel earth like they wanted to do an advertisement in their store kind of in-store thing mm -hmm. and we gave them the heel earth picture and they're like no no we want heel soul and wow. i was like yeah and okay. it just showed the the acceptance that Yeah, like just the moment we're in, it, that's just another, how do you say, sign of the acceptance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we could do something that I thought would be totally controversial. Uh, and it was not at all. It was like, literally, we did not have one bad comment about the label. And it went out, I mean, billions yeah. of bottles, I mean, in the, you know, tens of thousands of stores, so... So we need to have it in Europe too, I think. <laughs> Very soon. I agree. I agree. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, but it's, it's kind of this thing where, and, and I've told my brother and, and, in our partners, it's like, I mean, it's, um, what we just showed here is that it's not controversial, but we didn't do this four years ago and we didn't do it two years ago. I mean, we kind yeah, of waited right. for the right moment. So, you know, we need to kind of be in a dialogue with our partners, like, like is Germany ready? It might, 
B, it might be another two year, you know, it might be like 2022, we do that, you know, just, you know, we got to make sure that we're not, you know, because for sure, if we did this four years ago here, it would have been, uh, yeah. you know, it wouldn't have even been funny, you know, I mean, yeah, it was, it was yeah, a lot of troubleshooting, I guess. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, with, with that kind of, um, let's say, data, you could almost say, um, on, on hand. So how do you think the next step in, in the Dr. Bronner's engagement will look like? I mean, now you have, I mean, increasing uh, states who will actually open up to cannabis, but also really um, allowing or working on allowing psychedelic therapy. So how do you, how do you think the engagement in the next years will look like besides just, of course, like giving money to the, to uh, organizations, but also like, like a strategy that you can think of? Yeah. First and foremost, I think um, the therapeutic model that we uh, introduced into Oregon, that we We want to see that be adopted. I mean, we feel like that's the most crucial model to integrate into the culture. Um, we totally believe in decriminalizing the medicines and having people be able to use medicines at home or out in the forest or, you know, how, however they think is, is awesome. But if we really want to optimize the therapeutic um, potential and healing of these medicines, that therapeutic container really is important. Um, first of all, in that it really controls a set and setting and there's a lot of intention and a lot of like therapeutic process. You do a lot of therapeutic work beforehand. Um, you go in with a lot of intention into the medicine. It's relatively high dose. Um, so it's important to really control that environment um, mm -hmm. and make a safe container for people to have that experience and then to do the integration work after. And, you know, that, that's where you really optimize the, the power, the healing power of these medicines. Um, and then it's also really important for the more naive um, uh, citizenry, more mm -hmm. say, people who don't really know psychedelic medicine. It's not something they're comfortable with or know anything about yeah. um, that, that having that kind of safe, well-structured therapeutic model is like, that's how people will access these medicines. They're not going to, go to a ayahuasca ceremony or, mm -hmm. you know, or, Hey mom, uh, you know, mushrooms are decriminalized. Here you go. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's not, not, yeah. not going to work. Yeah. In your mom's church. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah. I think that's the first of all, but we also do want to see broad based decriminalization and, and, um, you know, just, we, we do think ceremony is really important. That's mm -hmm. a very, you know, there's a lot of deep healing that people can access. So, really want to make sure that medicines are decriminalized and, and religious use and ceremonial use uh, proceeds. So that's the other huge, um, how do you say, strategic front. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the and then broad-based treatment, not jail, um, to just shift even with hard drugs of abuse that we shouldn't be throwing people in jail. We should be treating them. Um, and then the different, I guess, strategy or political strategies would be le legislatively, um, is now, it's now looks more possible to win through a legislative process, which is generally more difficult than a ballot measure. Mm -hmm. Ballot measure, you can write what you want, you take it to the people, they vote on it, you get exactly what you wanted. Yeah. But it costs a lot of money. But a legislative process generally doesn't cost so much money, but it's a lot more difficult. But we think now that we've won with the ballot measures, that that legislative process can is more possible. So now we're seeing legislation in California being introduced. Mm -hmm. um, I guess New Jersey just decriminalized mushrooms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of out of nowhere, which was awesome. Um, and there's a lot of other states. So legislatively, um, and then ballot measure wise, Colorado for sure in 22, um, Washington state's also up. Um, maybe, I mean, California will probably wait because when, especially when we're talking about the broad based, uh, treatment, not jail that those campaigns, it's probably going to be 2024 mm -hmm. realistically for, for that to happen. Um, and then federally, you know, just keep lobbying at the federal level. Um, you know, we got a Biden administration. It's not, you know, he's not the super best on drug policy, but his son, um, struggled with addiction And right. hopefully yeah. evolved a little bit in his understanding of what help, what is and isn't helpful for someone struggling with addiction and, you know, just throwing them in jail is obviously not helping anybody. Um, 
so yeah, and then maps will we're continuing maps work. Um, maps. So in addition to moving MDMA through FDA approval, they have something called the Zendo project. And Zendo is historically it's been about creating safe spaces at transformational festivals like Burning Man or and mm -hmm. Boom Festival, um, where people are taking psychedelics in often pretty uncontrolled environments and can right. have a all of a sudden. Yeah a very difficult experience mm -hmm. or, or, you know, just have like really intense stuff coming up for them and being able to kind of go to a safe space. That's like chill and um, soothing and uh, have trained sitters there that can kind of like help calm you down and, and, and provide a space, basically a therapeutic space for you to kind of have a journey and an experience that mm -hmm. is um, can resolve in a really good way. Um, is uh, really important and so but zendo is now being reimagined that okay now as the whole world is like turning on and we're decriminalizing these medicines like we need a lot there's a there's a, a huge education gap there's a lot of people who really don't know what they're doing and so one we need to educate people about set and setting and intention and integration but also working with universities so zendo has a vision of like basically having zendo in every single u.s university Interesting. Um, okay. So that, you know, if you're having a difficult experience, there's yeah. a, a place to go. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's another big project. Obviously, actually moving MDMA through approval process, um, you know, that's going to be a huge milestone. Um, and then how do we scale that? I mean, there's a big problem of training enough therapists. There's a bottleneck of, you know, there's like an patient population of something like 8 million in the U S that suffer from PTSD. And there's not that many therapists yet, you know? so there's like, how do we ramp that scale the therapists that can deliver this therapy without compromising quality and efficacy. So that's a big issue. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. So just quickly to, to get this right. So the Oregon model means also that somebody could say, I feel depressed, I'm suffering from depression, I could go and see a psychedelic therapist, like the very the very short version. And he could make, or he or she could make that decision without having to try SSRIs before. Yeah. Could just, one right. could just say, I want to do this right away, right? Exactly. That's the, the, So the beauty of their Oregon model is it's, um, so Tom and Shri Eckert are a husband right. and wife yeah. therapist team. Mm -hmm. And... Um, They, they work with, uh, in particular, work with domestic violence, um, both um, victims and perpetrators, and, and they understand the power of psilocybin therapy in that context, but also really understand it as just incredibly helpful for everybody and that we're all struggling with the dilemmas of life and um, we're all on the spectrum of everything and we should not be limiting access to psilocybin therapy to people who have a narrow qualifying diagnosis of treatment resistant depression. And that's, that's, what's going to happen with the FDA medical pharma model. We're going to have that in Europe. Mm -hmm. and that's great. And it's generating amazing clinical results, but it's not going to provide access to everybody who can benefit. So the Oregon model is basically taking it kind of out of the medical pharma frame and putting it into a therapeutic frame, like in the way you would access therapy generally or acupuncture or, mm -hmm. you know, chiropractor or something, you know, you don't need to have like a, a diagnosis of anything in particular. It's just so long as you're not contraindicated with schizophrenia or some other right. yeah. indication that would make it a bad idea and you can safely access the therapy, then you can do so. So the organ model is basically opening it up to everybody, mm -hmm. um, but still maintaining that, um, therapeutic container and, you know, making it, um, you know, uh, how do you say replicating what the John Hopkins trials are doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of the thing that should happen in Europe too, hopefully. Um, but I mean, so as we know, you come from your, your ancestors come from Heilbronn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it your grand grandfather? Or your, your, your grandfather, right? So my grandfather, uh, Dr. Brown, was born in Halbron. Yeah. 
Um, his grandfather was in Laupine and, mm-hmm. uh, and actually started manufacture soap in 1858. But the family was actually, must have been in Heilbronn before that because our name mm-hmm. was Heilbronner. Um, and then I guess we went to Laupine and then we went back to Heilbronn. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I mean, you, we talked about this already in our first podcast that you, when you just visited the place for the first time and also saw the, let's say the Holocaust story of your family the first time, like with these cobblestones, like the yeah. stepping stones around with saying Bronner's. So, and I mean, I'm just bringing this up because we had already, uh, which was really amazing, uh, Rachel Yehuda on the podcast. Yes. Talking about um, the epigenetic trauma and the kind of the new ways of looking into, um, yeah, the Holocaust past at, or the Nazi past as wherever you want to look mm-hmm. at it from, from what angle. So, and I mean, I know that you have plans to do certain things like in, in, in Germany or Europe. So, Is this something that you you think about how to work around this topic in, in Germany or in Europe? Since you you come from, let's say, yeah. yeah, with that history, you come from a similar history. Like, I mean, like a lot of people who had to leave Germany or if they, some people couldn't leave it anymore because they were killed in, in the camps. So is this something that yeah. kind of, since you saw this, which is now almost like a year ago, Is it something that kept, let's say, kind of working in you as a topic and, and you kept thinking about it? Or, of course you did, but I mean, did it lead to any new insights or new projects maybe? Yeah, well, um, I, I think our last podcast I shared, yeah, the, just my experience of, um, yeah, you know, just really you know, feeling my granddad and, and great aunts and just playing in the streets And, you know, we were very integrated, you know, bourgeois Jewish family, so we family, mm-hmm. mostly non-Jewish friends, you know, just, you know, we're German, Germans first. And, um, you know, and just like realizing the enormity of the tragedy of just, you know, having the whole world turn on you and, and the culture that you love just turn on you and, and, mm-hmm. and, and really feeling that, but then going around the corner um, and seeing that park and, you know, I'm feeling drawn to it and like, what's that park? And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a cemetery. And it was a German cemetery, not a, not a Jewish cemetery. And I was feeling this like just incredible feeling of like deep solidarity and salute between the German and the Jewish dead, you know, just saluting each other. And like, like just like in common, I don't know, fate. And, and that like in realizing that most of these Germans, you know, were, were not Nazis, they were the kids. And like the whole generational slaughter that went down in World War II and World War I and, you know, just like this conflagration on all sides and this whole generation just slaughtered and sacrificed and that the, and just feeling this karmic life flow with all this complexity and trauma, you know, coming through and each generation suffering it and, and being caught in it and then delivering, you know, moving it forward and passing the torch to the next generation. And then, you know, here we are. And, um, and then back in Burning Man, the, just had a big experience on LSD on a certain night because we, some of our Jewish guests in our camp, because we have a, a, a big foam shower. We, my, mm-hmm. my dad developed firefighting foam and for, structure, for structure and forest fires. And then a version for Hollywood that we blast on trees and make it look like it snowed. Okay. And it's super fun to like have a big foam party. You know, we just blast foam and, and it's a kind of huge party at Burning Man. You come in and, and it's it's not not on the dance floor itself. You actually kind of get in a shower. It's like a big foam shower and 50 people get blasted with foam at a time. And it's very ecstatic and amazing. But um, for some of our Jewish guests, it's been triggering. Or I guess the association is made always by pretty much all European and Jewish guests. that like, whoa, you know, that's kind of like how the Nazis like, you know, gave the uh, shower you know, and, and yeah. bath, you know, to you mm-hmm. know, Jews. And then, you know, so and most. Uh, most people move through it. They're like, wow, well, this is love's answer to all that. Well, amazing. But, but some people get really triggered, like generational trauma triggered. And like, they hear like the, the screaming, yelling and joy, like they hear it, like the, the nightmare. Wow. And, um, 
So it's pretty, you know, and and I had a, a, a lady reach out to me with her experience on it like that. And then what we did is we actually took a picture for this next year of reformation was, it was 2016. And, and we had recreated in some ways un- unconsciously um, the temple of Eleusis, like we were mm-hmm. somewhat consciously, we had the, the Demeter, we had Demeter and, and, Persephone right. and we were celebrating Albert Hoffman and, and, his, and, and, and LSD and, um, but, but she came by as I was, as the cells had taken was coming on and, you know, it was like the sun was setting and, uh, you know, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Ali, yeah, let me show you what we did. And, and we took in a picture of the stumble stones, uh, in front of my, uh, grandparents, mm-hmm. my grandparent, uh, Dr. Bronner's childhood home. So, was, you know, Dr. Bronner and his parents. So my great grandparents, um, Bertolt and Francisca, um, there are stumble stones and it's like their date of birth, their date of, um, deportation and date of, de- of, of murder, you know, just in, in, we had a sign that said, you know, for our, any of our guests who are experiencing generational trauma, we hold you in our hearts until you pass through to the, you know, present moment of celebration. And, uh, you know, just trying to like honor it, but not trigger it, you know, I'm just mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. You know, and, um, and, uh, and as I was walking up with her, I was like coming in and it was like, you know, it was after it was somewhat setting, it was a party, it was, you know, it was just kind of empty and, and I was kind of nervous. I'm like, Oh shit. You know, I'm, I'm coming up you know, LSD is coming up. I'm going to hit the ancestral oh, plane and I'm like, hey, is this cool? Are we doing a cool shit thing here? Or is it not? You know, and like, you know, and, and, uh, and I come up and, and I'm feeling my friends up on the, you know, spinning tunes and I'm coming up on our big tra- shower trailers mm-hmm. and I feel the same presence I felt in the graveyard at, at Halbron. And I felt the same, the ancestors and they were just dancing with me, you know, they're just like, you know, calm joy radiating and just like, you know, you go son. Like, yeah, they're, they're just like, you know, it's like, we're with you. Like you just keep going, you know, it's like, we're the Phoenix, like, you know, it was just like a very calm, radiant joy, just like in just dancing with them. And it was this mega experience. And um, yeah, so I, you know, definitely experienced in my own kind of way, the the healing and, and processing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, I mean, the trauma we carry, I mean, all of us carry some degree of trauma and, you know, from multiple sources and um, you know, some more immediate, some more generational, and that's ricocheting down the generations and structural. I mean, in the U.S., obviously, we have the legacy of slavery and and, and racism and the genocide of the Indians. And, and, you know, these are things that we haven't collectively really grappled with um, adequately yet. So I think these medicines really can help um, a lot of us maybe get in touch with that. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly the victims and in their lineages first and foremost um but also the perpetrators you know all of us you know like on on all sides of the equation and i'm on all sides i mean i'm a quarter jewish i've got german uh and scandinavian but i mean i'm just totally on all sides of did the, you do the test the me 23 yeah i was exactly <laughs> 75 25 ashkenazi and, and oh really yeah. 25 okay interesting yeah. Okay. No, but I mean, I think this whole topic, which we addressed this year with Rachel Yehuda or Monica Williams, which was really fascinating. And um, I mean, I think this is something besides the whole depression and mental health question, this is something that is so just in the beginning of, and, and, but it's, you already feel what kind of topic that is for every nation once these kind of specific, um, let's say, national traumas would be addressed by that or by psychedelics or by a psychedelic journey. And I mean, I think I talked about this in a couple of podcasts that um, that I had that experience in synthesis, but also other Germans who went to synthesis, they experienced, they were either in in Second World War, like in the battlefield because their ancestors were there, or they were actually in a concentration camp Mm. walking around. So, I mean, and they were never really engaged before in these topics. So, but it's like, it took like five minutes. And so it comes on as a topic. 
Yeah. So, and this is so interesting how this is underlying like all the time in every decision people are making in every, I don't know, like every daily life situation, this topic is still so there with, a, and, and here in Germany, people are always like, well, this is like really long time ago now, this Nazi thing. And I think we just should not talk about it anymore. It's like, okay, it takes like two minutes or five minutes in a trip. And then this is the topic you will have yeah. for hours and days and whatnot. So this is so interesting how this will change also, I think, like a national um, kind of discourse or the, like the relation you would have to your to the place where you come from. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, that's like definitely a key dimension of the medicines is is it's they're integrators, like everything mm -hmm. that you're mm -hmm. like, not you're you're being in your shadow, you don't want to think about you just kind of arrange your life to not deal with, like all that stuff is going to get got kind of stirred up and, and you're going to be kind of confronted with it in in um, and integrated, you know, it's basically these are integrator. You know, they're about like integrating all your kind of dis disparate dimensions of self and, and experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, and, and I realized I should share like, uh, my first ayahuasca experience was a, was a nightmare. It was like a freight train of, um, just like the blood. I mean, the ayahuasca girls singing his songs and it was just like the, the slaughter of the Indians and, you know, the blood running in the, and then the rainforest burning, that like, you know, like we, oh yeah, the rainforest burning, um, you know, change the channel, you know, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's for dinner, you know, but, you know, not really dealing with the, the enormity of like, what we're doing. And, you know, the meta, you know, just threw me into like, just the fucking inferno of what we were doing to nature. And like, and, um, you know, it was just like one of the most difficult experiences I've ever been through. I mean, it was just like, oh my God. And, but then also hearing the Ayahuasca songs and like, the, you know, and just, wow, the healing power of this medicine coming from a tradition that we almost eradicated to heal all of us. And it was such a beautiful, you know, experience too. I mean, it was like one of the most like horrible, but also really beautiful. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and when you're dealing with that stuff, I mean, it's not easy at all, but it, you need to, I mean, that's how we kind of deal with it and process it and metabolize it, I think, as a culture and as a people. And, and so that we can move forward and, you know, be more understanding and cool in our collective choices and policy choices. And, you know, mm. there are, we do need to right historical wrongs and there's ways we can do that. And instead of perpetuating it, which in the U.S. unfortunately right. kind of still are in terms of the legacy of systemic racism and slavery and, so yeah, there's still a big grappling we need to do here that hopefully these medicines can can help with. Mm -hmm. But I mean, now you have like, I mean, you already, you're very engaged in the psychedelic, let's say activism for a while, but this year was specifically like insightful. And I mean, what would you say is still, or is now maybe the, the most important or the best working tool if it comes to destigmatization, because like if I look at all these podcasts this year, one thing, of course, is that we have science on hand that shows this is working, this is not working, or this is mm. kind of helping to, to treat depression. But it seems that one of the also similar important things is to destigmatize psychedelics, because as you say, most people would still say like, Oh God, uh, I don't, I'm not going to go to jail. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to, and so on. Like all these kind of, let's say, cultural references we still have. So what do you think has been this year for you or for Dr. Bronis the best, most effective uh, tool to, to destigmatize the topic? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think it's the uh, clinical trials. I mean, it's the results mm -hmm. coming out okay. on the on uh, depression and and PTSD and the fact that FDA has granted breakthrough status. And I would say the veteran community are mm -hmm. um, probably the huge destigmatizing forces, I would say. Um, I mean, um, in, in DC, actually, the lady there that ran, who is our leader. Uh, Melissa. 
Melissa Lavasani. Yeah, yeah. Like her sharing her story honestly about treating her postpartum depression. I think that's I think as um, that's a whole other community of, of you know basically mothers. And, and I think that's uh, going to be very crucial as, uh, but I think everybody, you know, as more and more people feel comfortable sharing their stories of healing and transformation just with friends and family, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like the gay LBGTQ trajectory, Yeah, you know, like coming mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. come out, come out wherever you are, you know, as you come out to friends and family, it just starts to transform the political landscape you know as people realize like all these prejudices and ideas are like no it's actually my friend he's he's rad so yeah no so yeah yeah i mean the we met uh, melissa and we also of course had her on a podcast and we always made fun of these articles saying like how she's the normal mom yeah (laughs) and then she's like i don't even know what that means the normal mom (laughs) so totally but i mean (laughs) But I mean, we it's interesting. That hat. We'll, we'll look normal for a second. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, of course, I mean, like you mentioned the, the HBO thing, like that, well, Daniel Castillo was oh, also yeah. on the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but also Mike Tyson was in the news, like in the last couple of weeks, uh, talking about his DMT um, experience that made him getting back into the ring and um, just coming back. And I mean, it's really weird because I interviewed him seven years ago for GQ and he was totally on on SSRIs, I think, pretty sure, because he kind of mentioned something and he was like a different person. Mm. He he was like, he came across like 10 years older than he comes across now. Mm. So, and it's like two different lives, basically. So oh, well, right it, on. It, you know, I yeah. haven't been following his story. Uh, I've kind of heard yeah. a little mention about him being back in the ring. Um, but um, I mean, I know I'd, I'd heard he'd been cool with the uh, tried DMT, but that's rad. Yeah. So, so yeah. So as as we see these public figures, like obviously doing better, that's that's obviously helpful. It is right. Yeah. It's still kind of. I mean, the moment somebody's. I mean, you're not going to say celebrity, but. So um, if people like that speak out and say like, I mean, other other than other than that, other without psilocybin, I would be dead. So people really start to listen, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's that's hundred percent. Like th- that's some of the most powerful testimony um, possible. I was just thinking about DM, like Mike Tyson saying DMT told him to get back in the ring. I'm like, I guess so. But anyways, what? But it's really on Fox News. It's that's even yeah. better. It's like he's talking to a guy at Fox about yeah, I did DMT. <laughs> yeah. It's like just a couple yeah. of years ago, this would be like probably like a like a on Saturday Night Live or something. Yeah. But now it's reality. So yeah, no, I know, and like yeah, and that's just the thing is to make sure that psychedelics doesn't go the way of cannabis, and that we really keep it in this kind of healing, wellness, transformational frame, and not just becomes another like commoditized thing like cannabis has. It's like really lost its positioning as a medical uh, healing tool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- this would, this, that's a good thing you're bringing up as, as a question, as a last question maybe, because like you had this engagement in cannabis like years ago with uh, insane investors jumping on it all over the place. And then, it, then of course, there was the legalization in California and you had Mad Men and all these companies mm. were like the Apple, like looked like an Apple store. And, but suddenly this also disappeared very quickly, like almost like it was, what would be like a chocolate or like a, I don't know, a beer <laughs> that suddenly disappeared because it wasn't cool anymore or anything. So, and then the next thing was like so many cannabis investors said, well, now we're now investing in psychedelics. So, and it's kind of weird how this suddenly becomes also like a, like a, like an extremely like lifestyle product that is, um, after a couple of years, people will go like, oh, now we kind of fed up with this. We need another substance or something. Mm -hmm. So, but how do we prevent this, that psychedelics doesn't have the same or won't have the same trajectory? Yeah. What Uh, do you think? Yeah, well, we're we're definitely engaged with allies on exactly that. Um, there's a group called North Star um, that's uh, 
trying to organize like uh, venture capital in a more ethical way, like deploying mm-hmm. capital in a mm-hmm. way that's more conscious in the space and patient um, and, and funding the right kind of clinics and companies. Uh, I mean, we're already seeing a spectrum of, let's say, uh, a spectrum of less and uh, better uh, psychedelic pharma companies in the space. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think it's just about, um, you know, con- like the same philanthropists right now that are driving the policy, like also, I think in cannabis, part of it was the philanthropists that drove the end of prohibition were not engaged on profiting over the business mm-hmm. side. Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. no one wasn't paying attention to that. We were just like, we need to fucking end prohibition. You know, that's where a lot of the philanthropists were at. It's where our heads were at. And we weren't paying attention to the other side. I mean, I think this time we're much more paying attention to the other side. And a lot of the philanthropists that are driving the policy changes are also making impact investments and are like a lot more conscious about how that, what they're funding. So, you know, I think that there's no avoiding that you're going to have some, whatever, not the most awesome kind of companies and organizations and entities, but I think hopefully that you're going to see some really big entities that are pretty awesome. And, um, you know, maps is basically a, uh, yeah, well, a nonprofit pharma company that's going to hopefully get real big and really anchor a, an ethics in the space um, that didn't happen in cannabis. Um, and then there's, yeah, and there's just some really cool for profit that have, you know, Dr. Bronner's were technically for profit, uh, you know, and there's, there's some really cool um, companies getting off the ground that have a, like a real deep ethics. So, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I'm constantly optimistic the psychedelic space will be better. And then also policy-wise in Oregon, like we intentionally made it so that you can't, you, like a license for growing mushrooms is restricted to like a single site that's not that big. So you can mm-hmm. make a good livelihood, but you can't have like a huge corporate takeover. Comp- yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's no branding and marketing of the medicine in Oregon. So we're, um, you know, just really kind of, taking a different path at least in some in these crucial ballot measures yeah okay well it's gonna be exciting the next couple of years for sure (laughs) yeah no it's gonna be pretty interesting yeah hopefully by 2030 everyone's like pretty much uh yeah (laughs) that'd be be good (laughs) it's just it's late i'm we can make these jokes. It's it's dark the whole day, and it's already like I mean we can make one joke. <laughs> yeah. So, so now we're excited if this if this really kicks off in 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 Europe and um, well we're working on it in Germany of course, and uh, yeah I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, of course, we one time we want to see the dog again, properly oh. introduced. Oh yeah. So this is Appa. Appa is now an athlete. Okay, uh, napping. Yeah, really? there he is. Hey, there's a little appa. Oh my god, there's a little appa. That's what's up, Michelle. Yeah, where is he? Okay, now you went back to bed in the morning. Oh, it's still wait, early, right? Can you see? Oh, there he is. Yeah, okay. Oh, oh my gosh, I got a little, little shoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So cool. So that little appa. Okay, great. Now we have him in 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 the in the picture and in the podcast. Yeah. Um. So yeah, thank you so much for doing this. And I know you have a super busy schedule. And um, it's eight o'clock, yeah. and now it's probably nine o'clock, very early. Yeah. And, well, um, no, I'm, I'm so psyched that uh, you're uh, charging and 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 had so much success here, and hopefully paving the way for. Well, I mean, thanks to you, also to your um, support in um, connecting to certain people like Monica or Rick, who would, I mean, who have like probably 28,000 requests a day um, for mm. podcasts. Yeah. So thanks to you, they said yes, <laughs> and we could actually talk to them. So so thank you for being on the New Health Club show, as always. <laughs> I hope it's going to be a regular, um, you're going to be a regular guest twice a year. 
with yeah. every update that's happening in the psychedelic world. And this will be more and more, as we know. So thank you so much for talking to us. It was a pleasure and very interesting again. Right on. Well, thank you so much for having me and, and look forward to uh, sharing ever more good news in the, yes, in the months hopefully. and years to come. Yeah. Okay, thank you.